It's Toronto Sportsman Show time, and this year we're part of the entertainment. And by we, we mean the entire Outdoor Journal Radio and Fishing Canada crew. That's right, the entire crew will be in-house, hosting live podcasts with guests, interacting with listeners, and fielding questions from our audience all weekend long, March 14th to the 17th. Tickets are on sale now, and fans of our show are getting 15% off their admission price by purchasing with the link in our bio. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to spend a weekend with us at Canada's premier event for outdoor enthusiasts. Welcome back to the Ugly Pike Podcast on the Outdoor Journal Radio Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Canada's only specialized pike and muskie shop, Izoko. Head over to izokofishing.com and check out all the amazing hand-picked, top-quality gear they have to offer. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Angling Sports, based in London, Ontario, and serving customers throughout Canada and the northern U.S. with over 30 years of unmatched angler support. They offer top-tier fishing products catering to every skill level. Explore their offerings at anglingsports.ca and gear up for an unparalleled fishing experience. So, Frank, today we're diving into the exciting world of muskie fishing with another seasoned angler whose passion for the sport runs deep. He is a multi-species angler who cut his teeth on the challenging waters of Lake Ontario and his tributaries. From casting to trolling, he has honed his skills over thousands of hours on the water. Also, as a board member of Niagara Muskie Association, he not only shares his expertise, but actively contributes to muskie conservation. So get ready today for a concert, uh, con- conversation sorry, of precision presentation, because I'm really excited to learn about the stuff you said in your bio and the art of angling with Mr. John Pencil. So John, welcome to the show. We're, we're, we're pumped to, to learn from you today. And I think the, the, the listeners are going to, you know, it's going to be one of those episodes, Frank, where they go back to get all the points. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Awesome. I'm I'm really happy at the fact that I might not suck so bad on my home waters after this interview. So that's my <laughs> that's my only hope just to go from sucking a hundred percent to go sucking ninety nine percent on my home waters. It's a heavy yeah, lift. The Niagara's a weird learning curve. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, John, I want mean, to I want to start. I want to ask you like I literally did what you did. So I'm I don't know if we ever crossed paths. But I, I grew up fishing on the, the lower, and that's where I ran into muskie. Like, you know, between my, when I was fishing trout, fishing bass in the summer, uh, I go down for the Lakers. Like, I had, all, I had every fish pegged in the season, and I was going down there for hours. And you know Pebbly Beach. I'm sure you know Pebbly Beach. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yep. So I'd go from there all the way down to some of the, like, little hidden enclaves that were less known. Uh, and... And that's where I would run into some shore muskie. That's where I started catching first shore, shore muskie, but it was always by accident. So, um, and I ran into some anglers that were were, were targeting muskie. Um, so, is that is that where you began? Like, 
your your musky fishing experience? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. So I'm I'm from the U.S. side. I'm from New York. So if you were over there on Pebbly Beach, I mean, odds are that we were directly across from you. You know, we were fishing oh, yeah. the U.S. side from our park to the Whirlpool. Uh, you know, I same thing. Grew up down there, stomping those shorelines, uh, float fishing for steelhead in the spring. We'd you know target small mouse and whatever else would bite. But uh, yeah, one spring. Uh, actually it was me and Colin Veters had quite the racket going. We were fishing, uh, spring LOC Derby, which was a, uh, a Lake Ontario Derby for trout and salmon. And, uh, we had been beating up on the steely and catching big ones, you know, 10 plus pounders every day, which were good for money in that, in that Derby. So, uh, you know, during this, during this Derby, which was the first week of May, we kept bumping into muskies. We were catching them, you know, jigging marabou jigs under floats and, you know, in other ways. And uh, we ended up winning that with a, a 37 inch steelhead that was like, you know, almost 17 pounds. And we took our money that we had won throughout that week and we bought musky gear. <laughs> and from there we, we took our new gear down to the lower and, and, and just kind of explored those banks. And, and we had some success just throwing, you know, maps musky killers and, you know, whatever, whatever baits we could find at the local Gander mountain. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you this because when you stand on on the Canadian side and you look over, you're always like, "Geez, man, it's so much steeper. It feels so much more dangerous when we look from our side because our side we have like much more undulation on the shoreline, and then when I look across, it's like just a, a just a complete steep slope, and and the the pathway seems like really right on the edge. Do you have like comfortable fishing locations there, or it's 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 a precarious situation when you fish there a, a lot of it is goat trails i mean to even access that area of the gorge i mean and, and it's the same on your side i mean it's it's a lot of stairs i mean you're doing a thousand steps to get down there yeah. and then w- once you are down there you know you got to pick and choose your areas to fish during those high water periods in the summer there a lot of times there is no place to stand um uh, in those areas so i mean you wear waders you 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 try to be safe. I mean, once those rocks get slick in the summer, it's uh, it's a dangerous place for sure. I've always said that 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 area above the power plants is probably the most extreme musky fishing on the planet. And I mean, we've caught quite a few there, even in the boat in that Devil's Hole area over the years. And uh, there, there's really nothing like it. I mean, you take somebody that's not from the area and blast them up through those power plants, and then start casting musky baits, and uh, it, it just kind of blows their mind. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying how how fast that water is. Mm-hmm. Frank, I mean, Frank knows about yeah. the steps. Frank, you're on mute. Uh, am I? No, oh, no, no, we hear you, Frank. Back, back. Yeah, no, okay. I, I had a little cough there, and uh, just talking to our producer, uh, John. Just, uh, I think your levels are a little high, so uh, can you just move away? Just push your your computer forward or move away a little bit and uh because i'm watching the levels and uh, it's going to be much louder so dean just edit this out if you don't mind or leave it in who cares uh yeah the uh the steps down there are treacherous i've never really gone down there to uh to fish for musky but uh like i i live i like i live right there (laughs) it's literally literally three minutes from my house so Nonetheless, I get in my my truck and I, I haul my boat twenty five minutes to the Upper Niagara, where I insist on fishing poorly. Am I doing it wrong? It, it, absolutely not. I mean, it, if you want to fish from your boat, I mean, you want to 
you want to target musky grounds. I mean, the upper is where it's at. I mean, you have beautiful cabbage beds. You, you've got, you know, a couple of islands. You, you've got traditional musky structure. That lower river area is, it's another beast. I mean, there's nothing traditional about it. You've got extreme current. Um, the weed beds you do have are, are kind of sheer drop-offs in the somewhat deep water. I mean, it's it's definitely a fishable area. It's targetable. Uh, there's there's muskies down there and in good numbers at times, but uh, it's 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 not the most enjoyable. Although it's scenic, like I mean, it's beautiful. You're in the gorge. You're you're looking at wildlife. Uh, that that lower river fishery is is different when yeah. it comes to musky fishing. But what about and it can be? Go ahead, Chris. But what? No, it's me. It's Frank. What? But what about all the? What about like when you start at the? Let's go into like the uh, Chris. If you don't mind, this is just this is like. I can almost see the spot I'm talking about as I look out my window. So you go to the Queenston Dock. Now I'm talking about a little bit of a different area now and not so much uh, you know, Devil's Hole and stuff like that. But while we have John here, I mean, you know, I uh, we, we interviewed Italo, Chris, remember, 800 million years ago. I was going to bring that up. Ago. That's exactly right? the area he was yeah. telling us to go to, yeah. And Italo's not a musky guy, but he's a fishing guy. And he says, you know what? When you start at the Queenston Dock, you've got three or four long bays that – you know, arc, and then you hit you hit the bar more or less, right? And he says the weed beds in there are really good opportunities to fish for muskie. I've tried it; I've never I've never caught anything. Um, is the lower uh, a waste of time if you're not at the bar? Like I know the area near the bar and the Buffalo side. There's been some just giants seen and caught out there. But um, what's your opinion about that intermediary? Do you just blast through it and get to the bar if you want to target muskies, or or is it a no, time of year thing? What do you think? It's definitely a time of the year thing, and I and I never shoot out to the bar. I mean, it's so if I'm going to cast, say on the opener, I wanted to go to the lower and I wanted to fish from my boat. Odds are that's what I would be targeting. I'm going to cross to that Canadian side, and those same bays that Italo described, those those four long bays, one we used to call Bootleggers Cove, and and then there's I don't know, there's names for all of them on that side, the Pines, and they're all kind of back eddies as they swing through there. So it's it's difficult. Like it's you can't just set the boat down and turn your trolling motor on and cast all the way to the mouth. Sometimes the current is going one direction. Sometimes it's going the other because of those back eddies, but you get in there, you fish the downed wood. A lot of times those fish will associate with wood. You fish the weeds where you can find them. Uh, a lot of times in the summer, those weeds will go right to the top in there and it, it's just a thick sheer wall. But around that opener, you can find a couple spots of good cabbage. So you find the good cabbage, you find the wood for post-spawn fish and uh, there's there's a chance at a big fish there. Those those lower fish like tens. They like they like blades. Um, it, it's a cool fishery for sure. And if you're willing to put in the time and just kind of make your way down those banks, you will learn a few spots that are repeatable that you can have success there over and over again. Seems to me like that. Those weed lines are so well established and lineal. Could you not just drag blades like troll blades right across the, the face of those weed beds and just make make it through those 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 four eddies or bays or whatever we're calling them absolutely but you're going to be you'll you'll be over that 20 foot of water you know what i mean or, or even 30 foot of water off that weed edge and but it's 100 percent doable you just got to do it right like nobody can tell you it doesn't work because they haven't tried it like and the guys that do try it and the guys that have had success doing it they keep their mouths shut right so the only person that's going to prove that it works is the guy that goes out there and actually attempts it. So I, I want to get back, uh, like, uh, like on that transition then from from the shore to the to the to your boat. 
Is that where like that whole lower region where you learn to like hone your boat skills? Because if we are in the area near the power plant, it's like you need to be an insane pilot uh, to, to, to control the current of class five rapids. And, and I'm not sure how, like, especially if you're fishing Lakers and stuff around there, but then, you know, is that where you kind of cut your teeth on, on boat control and boat positioning? No, uh, not, I mean, not really. I mean, you down there, I mean, boat control is one thing to try to keep your bait underneath you if you're drifting for, for lake trout or steelhead or anything like that. But as far as uh, musky boat control is concerned, it's more or less keeping your distance from structure, uh, making sure that your your partner is getting the perfect presentation all the time. I mean, there's a lot to it. I mean, it's to me, musky boat control is making sure that both you and whoever else is in the boat with you is getting that perfect presentation is, is the right distance from the structure. Uh, you're not casting off into the weeds. Your boat isn't up on the weeds. It's, it's being able to drop that cast right where it needs to be every single time and not, and not wasting time in between, not being a mile off it and having to bomb cast to the structure. If the fish are going to eat just off the weeds every time. So there's a lot to it. I mean, it's the, the whole precision aspect and current is, is not blowing through a spot too fast. I mean, a lot of guys, they try to approach it like they approach a lake and maybe just have that nose down with the current banging against the back of the transom. And when you do that, you'll blow right through a spot. So sometimes it's just a matter of putting that nose into the current and just slowing your drift to kind of match the current speed. That way you can sit there and pick apart a spot without blasting through it at four miles an hour and getting 10 casts where you could drop 30. You know, that's... That's the biggest thing for me in, in current and in, in working structure. I think is just not letting that current overpower your approach. I think Frank, before we get into all like the real like more details of what he's talking about, is there anything we wanna wanna talk about in terms of the journey and, and where you got here in terms of how you how you became like a, a, a specialized musky angler? Uh, maybe we can talk about that a bit before we get into some of the technical because I have a few more boat questions for you. And um, before we go down that road, maybe like, you know, you talk about how you spend over a thousand hours a, a year on the water. So, you know, just, you know, that's, that's 125 days if you're just doing eight hours a day and you're saying like 75% of that or whatever, 75 days of that would be musky fishing. So, you know, that's obviously your passion. What, what made you kind of focus into musky? I think probably the same reason that we all kind of gear towards that. It, it's just the challenge, right? I mean, it's, it, you don't get the same excitement for a, a lake run steelhead after you've caught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them as you do for a muskie, even though if you've caught hundreds and hundreds, because those big muskies, the one that we're all after, right? We're all after that one fish each and every year. Uh, you're you're going to have that crazy excitement each and every time, especially when you're on water that can produce the biggest fish you've any, ever seen at any time. So just that aspect of it, 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 it keeps it exciting. It keeps it entertaining and it keeps you wanting to be out there because only time on the water is going to give you that opportunity on that fish that you've never seen. The, the fish that has the caliber of fish that you've absolutely never seen. John, were you on the fish with Colin when he got that giant? I was uh, I was or in the boat. boat. Sorry, yeah. Not, no, I wasn't in Cullen's boat. Uh, Cullen was with our friend Johnny Miller. Uh, they, they were they were out there. Uh, it was their first day in that area. I had been there about a week 
And uh, I was actually with uh, a mutual friend of ours, Johnny Dadson. He was in my boat. And we were about, we were probably day five in our trip, and we had caught some nice fish. But, uh, yeah, when that phone went off at 1 a.m. and I heard the numbers 59.5, it was, uh, I ran that couple of miles to get over there quick. Yeah, I bet you did. That fish is unbelievable. So, um, yeah, if anybody doesn't know, well, if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, then just turn the show off because uh, I think (laughs) think everyone heard about that fish. It was a real hoopla. I mean, um, we didn't reach out to Colin for the story um, because I know that he just got deluged with some other shows and other people wanting to get a piece of that story. So uh, we'll check in with him a little later on down the road and, and tie that in. But, uh, you know, sorry, how do you pronounce Colin's last name? It's Vader's. Colin Vader's. So Colin Vader's makes musky candies, crankbaits. So if anybody doesn't know. And uh, now was that fish any sort of record at all? No, I mean, it's, we didn't document it in that fashion. I mean, we did have – uh, my Chatillion scale, as well as uh, Johnny's Chatillion scales in the boat, those are certified scales. Uh, we tested them afterwards to make sure that you know they were they were accurate. Um, I zeroed it myself before we before we weighed the thing, and it did pull that scale to sixty two pounds. Then that was three and a half pounds on its own without the handle, which is what we weighed it in. So it was a fifty eight pound in change fish. I mean, it was an absolute massive fish that. I mean, to just see it, it, it still blows my mind. I mean, I, I was nearly in tears for probably two days after seeing that thing. And we, it's not like we hadn't seen big fish before. I mean, yeah. everybody in all those boats has handled fish up to 57, 57 and a half inches. I mean, we've handled absolute giants, but that thing was an absolute yeah. another level. Yeah. So, Chris, I don't know. You probably don't know, but I met John. Uh, I met John on the water, John. You and I first met on the water. Um we saw him from about 200 yards away with a bent rod and we kind of went over there. I was fishing. Jeez. I don't remember. I think I was fishing with Alex uh, in Alex's boat. And uh, we went over and I think I took a couple pretty good pictures of you holding that fish up. It was a nice fish. Um, you know, not a culling fish, not a 50 plus fish, but that fish was approaching 50 inches. It was beautiful. And uh, we met on the boats real quickly and exchanged pleasantries. And then, uh, Got to chatting over at Johnny's shop in Niagara Falls. We were there for a for a little get together, and um, yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we met, and uh, glad you're on today. So there's just so much to talk about, Chris. What? So where do you want to go from here? Ah, uh, well, uh, you mentioned Colin, and 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 you you talk about how he's been a fishing partner with you for a long time. So uh, you know maybe you can talk a bit about how important that is in terms of your fishing experience and when targeting muskies targeting, like having a, a partner with you, especially when you're spending that amount of like significant time on the water to have somebody you can trust, have somebody that's got your back, you got their back, like how, you know, and, and we all know that musky fishing, it's a team, it's a team endeavor, right? Like we don't say it's our, my fish. It's like when, when you have three or four guys in the boat or, or girls, everybody's working together to put that fish in the boat. So you really value the the partnership and, the, and the, what everybody brings to the table. So you mentioned in your bio about how important that was and how important he is as a partner, a fishing partner to you. So maybe you speak a bit about that from your perspective. Yeah. Um, I don't think I realized it until years later when you see guys, it seems like people are always looking for a partner to go on a trip or, you know, man, I'd be out there more if I had someone to fish with. And uh, yeah, he, we, we've always kind of been available. We've always figured out a way and planned ahead. 
so we can put in the time when it needs to be put in. Like it, we make sure that we're on the water those weeks that are our prime weeks. You know, we make sure that we spend plenty of time on trophy waters in the fall. And a lot of guys, they can't, they can't line that up, right? They, they don't have that specific person that is able to drop everything and get there. So him doing what he does for a living, making baits, you know, that's, that's huge that he is available uh, at all those times during, during the season. And then me doing what I'm doing and I work in the prison system and I'm able to kind of trade my shifts. So I, I can, Basically, I can work all winter and take off all summer if I choose to. It, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's why I do what I do. But uh, that's I mean, it's it's just proven to be probably the number one puzzle piece to our success is just the fact that we're able to get out there when we need to be. And for times where people with with normal traditional careers, they just they just can't make that happen. You know, not only that, but just, you know, we're, we're the type that just motivate each other just out of excitement. Right. So. The minute you think that you're just going to sit at the couch and, and pet the dog for, for the night, like all of a sudden he's like, nah, dude, we, we got to be out there, man. It's, you know, there's an approaching mm-hmm. front. We got a, you know, a major at midnight. Let's just go fish all night long. And then boom, next thing you know, you got another giant in the boat. So little things like that, having someone that motivates you, having someone that, that challenges you when you think you know everything or you think you know what spot you should fish next. It, uh, it can be pretty big, man. It's, it's it's important to have someone that not only thinks the same as you and it has that same motivation as you, but also thinks differently enough that it that it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you changing up the program and figuring things out because there's a lot of times when we're out there where the bite isn't good mm. or our traditional spots <laughs> aren't paying off. But having him who I've never seen anybody think outside the box like Cohen does or or do off the wall stuff that makes no sense and then have it work. I mean, having that with you is just a weapon that's immeasurable. I mean, it's, it's, it's so valuable to our success that uh, I, I, we really couldn't do it without each other is, is the way that I see it, you know, overall. What brings you out at one thirty two AM? I mean, major minor. Okay. But what are the other markers that would incite you guys to say, okay, it's 2 AM. Let's get up. We got to go. Like you said, prefrontal, like what, what are you looking for to make? Because no, not a lot of guys will do that, right? A lot of guys will fish standard hours, major, minor, you know, moon events, and then, you know, we're tired, dinner time, tired, go to bed kind of thing. So what what gets you out there in the middle of the night? I think just past success more than anything. I, what started it was probably just trying to repeat other success. I mean, with the Niagara Muskie Association, we're able to read those reports from throughout the years and, and see how people caught fish. And so now you just want to prove that you could do it, right? So maybe I read a report and see that in 1999, somebody caught a 50-inch fish in the West River at 2 a.m. on a depth rater back 60 feet. So now it's like, all right, well, now I want to go catch a, a big fish on a depth rater back 60 at 2 a.m. So you're you're just trying to repeat that success. And eventually, once you do, then, then now you have that past practice in your head, that past success that you're just always chasing again. And uh you get those ideas, right? And then, you, and then you start to see how bait moves different in the middle of the night and how maybe L-wives shoot up, you know, into the shallows or, or shad come in and come up off the bottom at 2 a.m. where guys that fish traditional hours never get to see those things. So it uh, once you start to see that, I mean, some things click. But it's it's not just the middle of the night either. Like, uh, I mean, 
anybody that's looked through some of our big fish photos, they'll look and they'll see clear blue skies and high suns. And they're like, wow, you know, we don't even fish at those times. And we've had enough success that I know that sometimes you just got to keep, yeah. you know, throwing the bulldog or working the Dusa because, yeah. you know, I've caught probably just as many big fish in the middle of the day as I have it you know, sunrise or, or the middle of the night. I mean, it's, it's just weird. Sometimes it's just grinding it out, putting in the time and having yeah. the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. John, John, what, what waters are we talking about here? Can you share a bit about like where your home waters are and where like you generally spend your time fishing over these thousand hours in, in the season? You don't, have to, so, get, you don't uh, have to get too detailed, but I mean, if you want to put a yeah, wide uh, label on it. We cut our teeth in the Niagara. I mean, that's where we started um, for a few years. That was where 90% of our fishing was done. Um, it, when when St. Clair started to pop off in like 2012, 13, and really started to hit the you know, social media scene, we jumped in a car and hooked up the boat and, and dragged a boat in the middle of the night to St. Clair. We didn't know where we were going or what we were going to do, but we figured out a spot to launch. And, you know, we, uh, we spent a couple of years doing that, fishing, fishing Clair, fishing the Detroit. Uh, we figured out a lot there. We really learned how to how to work big rubber there, and then uh, we took that skill set um, kind of all over the Eastern Great Lakes, uh, the St. Lawrence. Uh, I fished everything from Kingston all the way through Port of Montreal and even further east. Um, you know, some stuff on the Ottawa, you know, two mountains, uh, a little bit of everything. Georgian Bay. I've done a couple of trips there as far north as McGregor Bay and had some success. Nipissing. Um, Basically, anything that, that has big fish at this end of the, the world, at this end of the musky range, I, I try to go and play with it and see what we can figure out. And, and we have some pretty world-class fisheries you're just you're touching on there. So there's no shortage of the chance of, of the fish you were talking about earlier. You know what I mean? No, absolutely not. It's, uh, it's second to none. Anytime you're anywhere on the Great Lakes, you, you never know what could show up. You know, the, the, the biggest fish on the planet could be sliding up on whatever shoal you're casting at any moment so it's uh it, it's a cool feeling when you're fishing those it makes it tough for me to actually finish fish inland because i just know that the fish that i'm truly after just isn't there you know mm, for sure for sure uh ever go up uh way up north eagle woods sewell uh you know what i did lake of the woods uh summer of 2021 and that was my first trip there and that i loved that like i didn't catch any giants on Lake of the Woods. Um, we caught quite a few fish over the week. We fished Sabascong mainly. Yeah. Uh, stayed in a tent, you know, dealt with the bears. And uh, it was a cool trip, man. I, I, if I could afford it, I would do that every year. Uh, it's, I mean, that's the essence of musky fishing, you know, getting to fish the, the rocks and shoals and, and just cast all that traditional structure. I mean, there's yeah. nothing like it. I mean, it really is and yeah. also the experience, amazing to go through that. Also the experience, John, of going, doing that, like the whole trip and being in the lodge and all that stuff, you know, as opposed to hopping on the boat and going to the Niagara, which is like, it's good to have a, the, the variation and all that, right? Like when you do the other one, you really appreciate the, the grass is greener type thing. Every time you go somewhere, you're happy. It's supposed to sh just staying in the same water every <laughs> every uh every time you go out but yeah that whole lodge experience and being up there it's with that scenery it's just an absolutely incredible experience that's it's it's really yeah. amazing yeah it's nice to escape the uh the, the cityscape of buffalo and you know not have to smell cheerios if you're trolling the yeah. buffalo harbor or... <laughs> well you know i mean uh no bears up in sioux lookout where chris and i have been very fortunate to get up to, to laxel and, and eagle lake and, and a bunch of times and uh, up uh, fishing out of Anderson's Lodge, we had uh, 
a lot of uh, great beauty and scenery to look at. This is a great lodge located in Sioux Lookout. Uh, for the listeners, if you don't know, you can drive in, you can go to their outposts or stay at a main lodge. Their outposts are amazing. I stayed at Tuck Bay. Uh, again, no bears that I saw, but uh, you know what? We didn't spend a lot of time in our lodge because there's nine area lakes. You can target five species if you want, pike and muskie and smallmouth, lake trout, walleye. Uh, and this, these guys at Anderson's, they have great packages. They start at three days. They go up to a full week, and uh, they're really flexible when, with when they can bring you in and out. So the customer service is second to none. If anyone's looking to try to get up there, check out Anderson's Lodge. And, Chris, I don't know if they're going to be at the Toronto Sportsman Show coming up but uh we're going to be there and uh it's sportsman show time what can you say it's that time of year and we're part of the entertainment this year fortunately and uh (laughs) when i say me i mean the entire outdoor journal radio crew and the fishing canada crew so the entire crew is going to be in house we're going to be hosting live podcasts in the booth guests listeners fans all that sort of stuff will be fielding questions all weekend long and guys that runs march 14th the 17th in Toronto. So check it out, the Sportsman Show. You can buy tickets now, and our fans are going to get 15% off their admission price by purchasing with the link that we put in our bio uh, when we publish this. So check that out on Instagram. And uh, we'll also toss a link on our Facebook page when we announce this. So do not miss an incredible opportunity to spend the weekend with us at Canada's <laughs> premier event for outdoor enthusiasts. Oh, Chris. All that right. Awesome. That was awesome. You did a great All job. right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we're you sold me. I'm ready to go. Let's go. <laughs> That's right. Oh, so. man. I get flashbacks to these great lodges and these great places up north, Chris. Uh, you know, um, we're going to have a heck of a time this year uh, figuring out where we're going to fish because we've had so many great guests this year that have reached out, you know. And um, we have it like like you guys were saying right before I went off on my tirade. We have an embarrassment of riches in this province, and I mean, you could even argue Chris and John in the Niagara region, right? With fishery, like it's just. I had guests here the other day. I had JT Torres, one of the best grapplers in the history of the world, ADCC two time champion, multiple world time champion. Never felt a guy 180 pounds put the pressure on me that this guy did. Uh, and we were driving around doing the sightseeing thing. And he's like, oh, is this a great fishery? And I'm like, yeah, it's one of the best fisheries in the world in Niagara, right? We're, we're really lucky. It absolutely is. I mean, we've got the spring fishery that we have with with trout and salmon. Uh, you can go out on that Niagara bar and, and, you know, catch 100 fish in a day that are all trophy fish. And then you can the next day go to Lake Erie. And if you want to go catch, you know, 200 yellow perch to eat, you can do that or limits of walleyes or giant walleyes or go play with trophy smallmouths and, you know, catch multiple five and six pound smallmouths in a day. I mean, it's it's really not comparable to, to anywhere. I mean, it's 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 second to none. I mean, as far as freshwater fisheries go, our area is unbelievable. There's no doubt about that. the name of Canada's one and only specialized pike and muskie shop? It's Izoko, and it's an Esox Angler's Paradise, offering the very best in hand-picked, top-quality gear, from bait casting to fly fishing, and even specialized Scandinavian tackle. Izoko's staff will provide expert advice and top-quality service. But Izoko is more than just a store. It's a community of passionate anglers that make up the Izoko tribe, and they're always ready to share tips and swap stories. 
So head over to their shop in person or online at izokofishing.com and let Izoko turn those fishing trips into epic stories. Hi, everybody. I'm Angelo Viola. And I'm Pete Bowman. Now, you might know us as the hosts of Canada's Favorite Fishing Show, but now we're hosting a podcast. That's right. Every Thursday, Angela and I will be right here in your ears, bringing you a brand new episode of Outdoor Journal Radio. Hmm. Now, what are we going to talk about for two hours every week? Well, you know there's going to be a lot of fishing. I knew exactly where those fish were going to be and how to catch them, and they were easy to catch. Yeah, but it's not just a fishing show. We're going to be talking to people from all facets of the outdoors, from athletes. All the other guys would go golfing. Me and Garth and Turk and all the Russians would go fishing. To scientists. But now that we're reforesting and anything, it's the perfect transmission environment for Lyme disease. To chefs. If any game isn't cooked properly, marinated, or you will taste it. And whoever else will pick up the phone. Wherever you are, Outdoor Journal Radio seeks to answer the questions and tell the stories of all those who enjoy being outside. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No matter what species you love to target, from boot to headlamp, Angling Sports has what you need. Their store is massive, and it's just loaded with equipment and apparel. So if you love to go after those big toothy critters like we do, it's a one-stop shop for all pike and musky tackle. Whether you're looking for trolling rods or casting reels, Angling Sports is always adding the latest and best industry offerings from entry level to higher end. Looking for custom musky baits? They got them. It's worth the drive to London, so check out their amazing store in person or online by visiting anglingsports.ca and net that PB in style. Chris, this might be a good time to talk about the Niagara Muskie Association. Are you, what do you think? Yeah, I just wanted just one, one thing. I wanted to sure. To yeah, yeah. That, that lower part, that especially especially uh, uh, what, what is it? The uh, the whirlpool down from the whirlpool. It really is like if you're down there, you you unless you're there, you can't understand the power and just the force of nature when you're there. It's like an experience you 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 can't explain until you go there. And to fish in that environment as a home water, it was I found a real privilege because I would go down there many times where it'd just be me. And it's like one, like you said, you, you said also about the, the rocks, like one slip of the rocks and you're gone, right? Because like you, your your feet are floating in a second. That's how fast the, the water is. But you learn to, uh, you know, um, understand that power and take caution and just appreciate it. And I really find that the, the lower was something that really, you know, tuned my 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 connection with nature because it's just the power of that river and what we mentioned earlier about the the species so that you can catch anything out of it you want to fish for lake trout brook tr- or uh, um, uh, browns steelhead salmon musky bass sheephead sturge whatever you want is there and that, and you know and they're always a, a great size so uh, i just wanted to jump in there about like in terms of what we have at our doorstep it's it's we take it for granted we really do. Yeah, anybody that that spends, you know, the if you spend every month of the year down there, you'll you get such an education on just how nature works. I mean, yeah. there's no other place where you're going to see sturgeon, lake sturgeon, actively spawning every spring, and see all those fish move into the shallows, you know, each spring, and then 
everything from snakes in the trees, right? You get those yeah. water snakes yeah. when they start to pile up and they're everywhere. Like you just see nature in general. I mean, you learn about the ice shelves and, and how those form and you'll be fishing from those, which are a, a death trap in themselves in the winter. And then you see all the, you know, beautiful winter ducks that people that don't go outside in the winter don't know exist. And uh, you really do get to see it all. You spend enough time in that gorge, and uh, and John, it, it, it's an educational experience for sure. I'm not sure if you ever went over and fished the whirlpool, but I'll never forget when I did the night fishing at the whirlpool the first time. And you know the the wooden stairs that get that lead right down to the whirlpool there, and and at night you just see this army of like this line of of anglers coming down with all the lights, and we use the flash gear, right? We we flash the 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 blade. Uh, with the yeah. with the fluorescent, and then you just see all of these like fluorescent things getting chucked into the water, and and then you hear the flash. This is back in like the mid '90s or early 2000s. So it's like you hear the you know like the photography flash all lined up around the shoreline. And what an experience that was! Um, and then catch a fish at night. So uh, yeah, any yeah, casting for kings at night is uh, it's it's an amazing experience. Actually, it used to be one of my favorite things in the world to do. Is just like you said, take that camera flash, glow a Clio, and just toss Clio, it out yeah, there. Yeah, the Clio, that's it. Oh, man. I remember my mom, she'd buy us disposable cameras as kids so we could take pictures of the fish, and all she'd get is 27 pictures of uh, of Mr. Clio wiggle lures as we <laughs> just took pictures of our, our baits and get them all to flash. <laughs> had to recharge that glow, man. Yeah, it didn't right. matter if we were wasting no money. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're right. All the good old days. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah. Very so, cool. Frank, you want to talk about the, the Niagara Muskie Association? We can go there if you want. Yeah, uh, I, I really want to. And, and, Chris, you know as well as I do, we've been looking for the right guests to represent that organization. I mean, yeah. John's a great ambassador. And um, it is – like, I don't know much about the association other than it's really good and it's full of amazing members and their ability to uh, track data is incredible. And I got – first uh, – First-hand sense of this, I was I was fishing with, um, geez, I don't even know his real last name, but he's Ben Duke on uh, on Instagram. You know Ben, I'm sure, John. He's, he's just, yeah, Ben LaDuca. Yeah. LaDuca, right. So Ben just put out a – he's making spinnerbaits now. Do, uh, oh, shit, I forget what they're called. Uh, do, Duke's Dozers. Duke's they're, Dozers. Uh, they're unbelievable, man. They, they look nice. They look really they nice. They really well. They do. Cool. Well, I, I keep uh, – every time he posts like a little contest, I keep – trying to win it. So maybe I'll get my hands on one. But Ben showed me some data from the Niagara Muskie Association that was fish caught. And uh, like, I couldn't believe what I saw. I saw basically a 10 year shot or so of like, basically it going like this, where it was, you know, numbers, 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 and then like single digits out of the, out of the river for, for some of the, some of the months, you know, real slim pickings. And yeah, I, and then I, then I got the sense that last season it picked right up again. So I, I, I'm hoping you can make heads or tails of that for me and also maybe talk about interesting data that you've been privy to that will help us understand uh, the Lake Erie fishery, the Niagara River fishery, and any fishery that that association touches. Can you talk about that for a bit? So, the, I mean, the Niagara Muskie Association is what it is because of its members, uh, the founding members like Larry Jones and then Tony Chimay. And then there's so many that I could sit here and name them for 20 minutes. But I mean, those guys had a vision and, and the primary purpose of that vision was just to start releasing these fish and, and, and get rid of the whole catch and kill mentality and, and just let the fishery live up 
to its what it was capable of. And uh, and and they managed to do that in a way that has lasted these 30 years and has provided enough data to really become a next level angler if you take advantage of it. Um, all Niagara Molsky Association members, they report their catches. Uh, there's a database where you can go in and it gives you a spot to record every little detail about your catch. You can you can report your fish, uh, the, the size of the fish, the time that you caught it at, the lure that it was caught on, the color of the lure, uh, the where the sun was at in the sky, whether there was cloud cover, water temperature, uh, air temperature, it's all there. And once you compile that database, you can, it's all online. It's all available for the members to where you can go in and you can read that data and you can compare it year to year, or you can look at different months or, or you can just choose to do it in every, every way you can possibly imagine that can turn you into an absolute monster on that river if you go out and put the things to practice. I mean, yes, of course, you still got to figure out the details on your own, but it, it certainly gives you some tools to play with if you're willing to take the time and do it. So, so John, could you maybe sp speak a little bit about how 30 years of data have, like, how that, like, identify some trends or, or uh, have, have helped you as an angler hone your areas or your skills to, to, to increase your catch rate? Like, how exactly do do you use the, that data to help your fishing experience? Yeah, so I, everybody knows that the – well, maybe doesn't really don't know, but there was a time when the Buffalo Harbor was probably the premier fishery in the Northeast. I mean, it was throwing up absolute giant fish throughout the late 90s, early 2000s, and then 2006, 2007, um, there was the mass die-off, whether it was VHS – or just mortality from being caught. Um, obviously, they combined to pretty much destroy that fishery and wipe out the adult population of fish. So you can see that trend within there. And in those final years, those fish must have had an amazing spawn. Because although there was, you know, two or three, four years where catch rates went down, all of a sudden in 2011, 2012, catch rates went through the roof. But they were small fish. They were about 30 even smaller, 25 to 33 inch fish, but you could throw up numbers like uh, me and Cullen cutting our teeth there. You know, we, we're, we're accessing this data once we join the club and we're using it to fish as they were, but we're, we're able to see instant feedback because there were so many of these little fish in the river that aren't there now that it really let us learn and see that what we were doing was right. It, it let us know we were on the right path because we always got feedback. So using that data and then continuing to add to that data, it, it let us watch these fish grow up. And as they got bigger and bigger and bigger, we just continued our success each year. And we learned from those reports and from our own success, which tactics we could use that would focus towards the bigger fish and which ones that we had developed or figured out that kind of tended to catch the smaller ones over and over. And then we just narrowed it down to the big fish tactics and uh and that's kind of how we we focus today and you can see that the fish that were we seen growing up then they're kind of at their max now like they're they're peaking uh there's a lot of 50 inch fish caught this year for the niagara 
but it's it's not going to last forever. Like those fish are, are already starting to dwindle down. There wasn't many 45 to 47s or even 43 to 47s caught this year. They all tended to be that 48 plus or really small, which is good because it's showing that these fish, these big fish we have now, they had an amazing spawn the last two years or three years, it seems like, because all of a sudden we're getting another cycle of the little fish again. So it is bad that there's a huge gap in the uh, the year classes, but it, it's nice to see that somehow nature's getting it done and we're, we're going to have a future. So, Frank, Frank, doesn't that like what a great answer? Doesn't that just highlight the value of joining an organization like this and having access to this data? Because it will just make you such a better angler than to just go out there on your own and not have that information. And you just identified some trends and alluded to some other trends that you could really hone in on based on the information that's logged. And, and, you know, time of day type of uh, uh, lures and all that stuff. So I just think it's it's invaluable uh, for an angler to join an organization like this in Muskies Canada or whatnot. What's available for you to get this uh, as part of your fishing arsenal? You know, what? another cool aspect of that club is every spring they work with the DEC and they sane for young of the year. And when you when you do that, you can kind of gauge how the spawns are, whether they've been successful or whether, you know, the zebra shell beds that are amassing at the mouth or wiping out the spawning grounds or the cabbage that's there or the gobies are eating the eggs. And for all those years where we see those gaps, that, that young of the year saining wasn't wasn't doing great. They, they weren't finding much. It wasn't like the, the Harbor Glory years where they were finding young of the year each spring. And it, and it, it was it was bad. It was a bad outlook, kind of like they're seeing on the St. Lawrence and in other places. But uh, the club worked with the uh, our New York State DEC and they, they've done some spawning habitat restoration. And this year, they actually set a record for young of the year that they found. And in one spot, I want to say they found close to 30 young of the year. And they could have found even more if they continued to same there. But it was one of those new habitat restoration projects near Spicer Creek, which to see that things like that are working, and now maybe we can try to replicate that one elsewhere, it, it shows the, the value of a club like that, that will continue to do the research and, and and put the data in a database where it can be seen, whether it's by government agencies or anglers or just anything to, to keep a fishery going and to keep it moving in a positive direction or identify when it's moving in that negative direction. So, John, what are they doing? They're going out in the spring and just kind of physically going over to these areas. Are they in the boat? Are they on shore? Like, how are they spotting these? How do they identify these? You get volunteer anglers to jump out into the water in those shallow bays and they take big seine nets and they kind of form a wall and the nets are kind of waiting at the bottom and you just kind of drag them through those emergent weed beds. And when you do that, you identify every fish that's in there. I mean, the amount of life that's in those emerging weeds, I mean, tons of different minnow species and, and, and young fry from, you know, every predator species that's in the river, but you do that. And then they, they go through those nets and, each little muskie that they find, they put it on a little mini bump board and measure it and put it in a little uh, clear thing of water and kind of look at it. And it's it's a pretty cool, pretty cool process. And it's it's cool to see those little muskies because, you know, that they're the future as long as they can make it through the, uh, the cormorants and the bass and everything else that's out there trying to take them out before they get big. Wicked. I mean, Chris, this is this is why this the, the Niagara Muskie Association is is probably one of the best. Uh, in the world for what they do. And when you hear people in the know talk about this organization, it's just, it's really amazing um, how, uh, 
how they operate and how dedicated their members are. So uh, that's really neat. I, geez, I'd love to do that. I would love to do that one season with them. That sounds like a lot of fun. You know, next spring, man, they'll be, they look for guys every year, every year, whoever's willing to volunteer and come and help out and do it. Uh, you're more than welcome to you hop right on a boat with the DC there. And uh, they, they always need more hands and it's, it's a good time. It is. Uh, it's cool to see people participate like that. And everybody that does it, I mean, you either feel like a hero because you found a bunch of little muskies at the end of the day, or you're you're depressed because you think that it, it failed and there's not going to be any future. We're used to being depressed as muskie anglers. <laughs> we're we're used to not finding fuck especially all, on so. the upper. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> John, can Canadians join the Niagara Muskie Association? Yeah, yeah, we have quite a few. Uh, Brett Cornier was always an active member. Uh, my buddy Riley Hemrich for years. He came Riley, over. Yeah, a few I know Riley. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I Me mean, and Riley fished hired together for a few years. Like 2015, we probably had whew, 50, 50 days a year in the boat together, uh, both on the Niagara and, and out east. And we tried to go to St. Clair one time, but my, my wheel flew, flew off my axle uh, going to pick him up from his house. So that, that didn't work out too well. And you don't <laughs> want to be fishing on his boat because for years he had that little tiny blue little blue boat, right? He's got that little tinner, but yeah. man, it is. Yeah. I love fishing from musky boats of all sizes. Yeah, and that sure. 14 tinner is rigged for success, man. Like it's got giants. It's it's a lot of fun to fish from that little boat. I met I met Riley. Man, I met him eight or nine years ago at uh, at one of the outings, and we kind of loosely kept in touch over the years. And I just remember just saying, you know, man, I got killed this season. And then he shows me his phone. It's a wall of fish. And I'm just like, uh, the hell am I doing wrong? You know, he's a stud. Great angler, he is. He's he's a good dude, man. That uh, yeah, he is. And he's an unbelievable bait maker. I mean, for somebody that just doesn't build baits anymore because he doesn't have time with his, you know, his his actual career, he, he's one of the best. I mean, there's there's nobody that understands lip angle, and he makes awesome glide baits, and you know, he, he'd make cool one offs with soft tails. But his his crankbaits were they were second to none out there. I mean, those things caught fish for sure. John, I just want to ask you another question. Like we touched on some of the technical or, or the, uh, the the value and the data that you can you can uh, you can have from joining this organization. But now you're touching a bit on the camaraderie and, and the and the partnerships and, and just being part of the experience. And as the as a member or a board, like you're on the board of directors, and you, you mentioned you organize these friendly outings that include like an, a memorial event for lost club members, and that adds a real unique dimension to your tournaments. Like, can you share an ex- maybe a, like an experience or a moment that kind of exemplifies how that camaraderie and remembrance with the Niagara Mus- like Muskie Association? How does that contribute to the kind of the ethos of the club, or how it brings everybody together? Because that's another dimension of muskie angling that we always talk about—just the camaraderie and being part of a community. After the like, you know, there's the catching the fish, obviously, but that that whole camaraderie is is really important. Yeah, so the the club does two main events each year. There's a third night bite that's tough to get in that we do in October, but uh, if weather allows, we'll get that one in as well. So usually the first week of the season, we'll do a, we call it the opening day sunset shootout, and we'll do it from, this year we're going to do 6 p.m. till midnight. Last year we did 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. It gives the guys that like the jig and fish during the day a shot at fish, and it gives some of the night owls a shot at the big fish as well. And, uh, I mean, it's it's super nonchalant nothing super organized but everybody throws their ten dollars into the pot you know you show up at the launch use whatever launch you need and uh just go out there take a photo of the fish you catch on a uh you know 
rigid measuring device, bump board, et cetera. And uh, everybody comes back and just kind of chats it up at the end of it. And almost everything that the club does, that's the most important part about it is when you come back to that launch at the end of the event or the end of the tournament, it's the, it's the chit chat. It's, you know, Jojo with a pot of chili or, or uh, just the stories that you have to tell afterwards. And, you know, nobody really cares about the couple hundred bucks that you might win or, or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's more just the camaraderie of it. Actually, people are more excited to win. I, I set it up a couple of years ago where I got some, some of the club members that make baits, which, you know, you know, Southern Ontario and Western New York, we've got some of the greatest bait makers on the planet. Yeah. So, you know, this, the last couple of years, we've had Hans the Carver and Cullen Beaters with musky candies. Uh, of course, Mark Arena with Red October baits. Uh, Mike Fretthold with his Fretthold baits and uh, Jim Reynolds with Mr. Toofy, Toofy Lures. They'll sponsor those events. And the way they sponsor them is if the winning fish is caught on their bait, the person wins a free bait. So uh, poor Cullen has had to, <laughs> to pay out the last few times. The, uh, the, the musky candy has seemed to get the job done. Last year was actually the fall tournament was one on a bondy with an awesome 50 plus inch fish from one of the, the, the good members there. But, uh, you talking about, is, is this early opener on Erie or is this regular opener on the river? This is, this is the regular opener. That's usually the last week of June that we run that okay. little outing. And that one's fun. I mean, we usually get about 20, 25 guys in on it and, uh, it's a good time. It's a good time. There's usually a couple of good fish caught this, this last season. Actually, I think me and Cullen won it with just the only fish caught, which was, it's musky fishing, right? You, you really never know. Some of those outings, there's been 30, 40 fish caught, and some you're lucky if you get one or two. You just you just never know if they're going to cooperate with your plans or not. Well, I got my first candy this year. I was uh, I was in Johnny's shop, and I was looking. I was in the back section of the shop there. Not the back back where he makes the baits, but the, that back area. And it was obscene, the amount of crankbaits he just had lying around. And I, that's, I think the word I used was, this is, this is obscene. Like, it's crazy. And I just gravitated to this one, and I said, holy shit, this is nice. And he said, keep it. And I'm like, Johnny, I'm not, I'm not trying to get free. This is every time I go there, we have the same – it's the same dog and pony show. His whole shop is a candy shop. You know, <laughs> he, he's so, but he's such, a, he's such a generous guy, and he loves – I mean, he's just a generous guy, and he's like, "No, take it." And I'm like, "All right." And I looked at, I looked at it, and I'm like, "What is this?" And he's like, "It's a candy." So um, I was really happy. I've got that. I've got a bunch of brand new baits that I'm going to roll out this year and just try a bunch of different things. And I'm really excited for the season this year. I think this is going to be Chris for both of us. I think this is going to be a really, really great season. So, um, so excited for that. And fucking fun. yeah, Johnny, he's an amazing guy that way. I mean, when when Colin got started, I don't think. There was anybody out there that ordered more baits than uh, than Johnny did, and he does that with a lot of new bait makers. You'll see them just put in the orders and then put in the work and then catch fish on the baits. Yeah, I mean, he's a talented guy that way. He's able to see he's able to see the success of a bait or the success of a lure maker before they may see it in themselves. You know, he can he can tell when something's going to work or when somebody's going to going to be magic with their both their product or themselves and. Uh, him, him supporting them in those early years is what makes a lot of them go. And you'll, you'll see that, you know, you go through that shop and you'll see baits from Evan Shaw's that you never seen before, or Cohen beaters that you never seen before. Now, yeah. you know, fretful baits starting to pop up in there and it's, it's cool to see, or, or uh, Tusi, Nick Tusi, it was awesome talent, you know, and to see somebody nurture that talent and, and maybe, you know, support their product and purchase products early on 
it uh it, it helps those guys make it all the way and that's what gives us all the awesome bait makers that we have today that you didn't have 15 years ago you gotta love that piggy hey john you gotta love that piggy tusi's piggy uh-huh. <laughs> i met tusi oh god it was probably it was a few years ago now i just seen he put up a bait online and i asked to buy one and i think he was kind of shocked that i even wanted one but I took the thing right out on the Niagara and I caught a fish with it and I sent him a picture of the bait in the fish's mouth in the bag. And it was the first fish caught on one of his baits and it was on his birthday. So since then, me and Tusi have been tight. <laughs> uh, he's a great dude. I, uh, I love that guy. He's a great guy. Fun to spend time with. And uh, I'm not sure if he'll be back at the Odyssey this year. My gut tells me he will be with his awesome display, but I'm pretty sure he's the one that's got the pig, right? The, the pink one with the pig nose at the front. I think that's yeah. 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 Yeah, one of my favorite baits, man. The uh, cool little baits, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. That was part one with John Pencil. What a great episode. Uh, stay tuned. Next week, Friday, we will drop part two. John really has a amazing way of, you know, inspiring the angler and um, – just telling everybody what it takes to be successful. He's clearly an elite angler. And in part two, it really shines through, especially when he starts talking about how he uses electronics and all that stuff, just the will and the drive to get that big fish in the net. So stay tuned. If you are on iTunes or Spotify or any podcast app that allows you to leave ratings or reviews for a show, please do so for the Ugly Pike podcast. We would appreciate it. And if you are a business, big or small, a small bait maker, a large corporation. We have rates for everybody. Best of all, one ad spend lives in perpetuity in our catalog. That means you don't have to keep repaying. It's going to live in our servers and on our database. And that means when new anglers are coming into the show and download the back catalog, as they always do, they get repeated exposure to your brand. Uh, There's nothing like it. And when you add in the actual component with the Fishing Canada TV show, how we are sponsoring the Get In There segment. Three and a half million people that watch that show are going to have exposure. So you get podcast rates with national TV exposure. Can't be beat. Check us out. Hit us up online. Any of our social media assets are through our website if you are interested in learning more. Thanks for listening, everybody. to build one of Canada's most iconic fishing lodges? I'm your host, Steve Nidswicki, and you'll find out about that and a whole lot more on the Outdoor Journal Radio Network's newest podcast, Diaries of a Lodge Owner. But this podcast will be more than that. Every week on Diaries of a Lodge Owner, I'm going to introduce you to a ton of great people, share their stories of our trials, tribulations, and inspirations. Learn and have plenty of laughs along the way. Meanwhile, we're sitting there bobbing along trying to figure out how to catch a bass. And we both decided one day we were going to be on television doing a fishing show. My hands get sore a little bit when I'm reeling in all those bass in the summertime, but that's might be for more fishing than it was punching. You so confidently you said, hey, Pat. 
Have you ever eaten a drum? Find Diaries of a Lodge Owner now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Do you know the name of Canada's one and only specialized pike and muskie shop? It's Izoko, and it's an Esox Angler's Paradise, offering the very best in hand-picked, top-quality gear, from bait casting to fly fishing, and even specialized Scandinavian tackle. Izoko's staff will provide expert advice and top-quality service. But Izoko's more than just a store. It's a community of passionate anglers that make up the Izoko tribe, and they're always ready to share tips, swap stories. So head over to their shop in person or online at izokofishing.com and let Izoko turn those fishing trips into epic stories. No matter what species you love to target, from boot to headlamp, Angling Sports has what you need. Their store is massive, and it's just loaded with equipment and apparel. So if you love to go after those big toothy critters like we do, it's a one-stop shop for all pike and musky tackle. Whether you're looking for trolling rods or casting reels, Angling Sports is always adding the latest and best industry offerings from entry level to higher end. Looking for custom musky baits? They got them. It's worth the drive to London, so check out their amazing store in person or online by visiting anglingsports.ca and net that PB in style. Do you know the name of Canada's one and only specialized pike and muskie shop? It's Izoko, and it's an Esox Angler's Paradise, offering the very best in hand-picked, top-quality gear, from bait casting to fly fishing, and even specialized Scandinavian tackle. Izoko's staff will provide expert advice and top-quality service. But Izoko's more than just a store. It's a community of passionate anglers that make up the Izoko tribe, and they're always ready to share tips and swap stories. So head over to their shop in person or online at izokofishing.com and let Izoko turn those fishing trips into epic stories.